0: Hi this is Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 50 of That's a good question why is there a judgment for Christians Well in our last few episodes we've been talking about issues related to the local church and things like philosophy of ministry Uh, And even church size. Mm -hmm. And we deal with those issues because, as we made clear when we started talking about it, the local church is very, very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's important for what God is doing in his world today. It's central. And we saw that the Bible refers to the local church as God's household, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And uh, we've also seen that it's the church that carries out the Great Commission, Mm -hmm. uh, which all of us as Christians are supposed to be engaged in. So that raises today's question, because if the local church is central to the mission and each Christian is to be involved in it, then what if we're not? Mm -hmm. You know, what if if we're not engaged in that thing we're supposed to be about? So what if we use our lives for Mm -hmm. other, lesser things? Right. And so today we're going to see that there's actually a judgment for all believers, but for many, that might seem shocking to hear, that Mm -hmm. it seems contrary to something that the Bible does teach, namely that Christians can't lose their salvation. So, uh, you know, we had an episode on that a few months back. I recommend go back and watch that if you're wondering about that question. March, March 5th. March episode, yeah, yeah, we'll put a little link, uh, which side is it, over here in the top. <laughs> if you're watching on a web browser, you'll see a link to it. Um, so we had an episode on that, and today we want to answer the question, why is there a judgment for Christians?
1: Yeah, not, not only does the fact of a judgment for Christians seem to conflict with that biblical truth of eternal security, it raises some additional questions. Some of them related, like, why a judgment at all? For, mm. for Christians, and mm-hmm. what is the basis for such a judgment, and when is this judgment going to take place? So we'll try to touch on all of those in this
0: session. Yeah, good, good. So so let's begin with where the Bible teaches that there will be a judgment for Christians. There are a few key passages that, that teach this. Uh, the
1: two most direct are found in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The 1st Corinthians passage has more specifics, so I'll deal with that one in uh, a bit. But 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 tells us very directly that Christians will be judged when it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Mm. of Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote that, and he's writing there to people that he assumes to be Christians, and includes himself when he says, we must all appear Mm. Mm -hmm. before the judgment seat of Christ. So there most definitely is a judgment for Christians... And its name is often taken from that passage, the judgment seat of Christ.
0: So it's necessary to have some way to distinguish between judgments, then, because the Bible teaches right. that there's more than one. Right. And uh, we don't want Christians thinking that they're a part of the other one. Yeah,
1: oh, for sure. Absolutely. The other judgment on people in the Bible comes at the end of human history. It's mentioned in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. Chapter 20 and verse 11 refers to a great white throne, Mm -hmm. and those before that throne, it says, are, quote, judged. So this is often then referred to as the great white throne judgment. So you have these two. The judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne
0: judgment. The judgment seat for believers, great white throne for unbelievers. You mentioned that there are two passages Mm -hmm. that especially deal with uh, the Judgment Seat of Christ. You talked about the Second Corinthians right. 5.10 one. What's right. the other one? I, I know you're aware of what these are, but thanks for setting it up for <laughs> any of our listeners who may
1: be unfamiliar. First Corinthians 3 also speaks of a judgment for believers. And as I said earlier, that one provides more details about what this judgment is. Now we'll see a bit about that later, but for now, just know that it says in 1 Corinthians 3, again, written to those who are assumed to be Christians, it says the quality of each person's work will be, and this is the word it uses, tested.
0: So so there's a judgment for Christians, but let's get directly then to Mm -hmm. what today's question is. Why? Why is there a judgment for Christians? I mean, Christians, we've already had our sins forgiven, uh, you know our past sins, present, future—it's all covered mm-hmm. by Christ's death on the cross, applied to us personally. So, as everyone may be wondering, what's there to judge? Well, in those two most definitive
1: passages that I've already given—the First Corinthians three, Second Corinthians five—it does not use the word sin with regard to those judgments, hmm. but rather it's about our works, and in particular, our work for. Lord, Second Corinthians. Much of the book consists of Paul defending his ministry against critics. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Paul was criticized. I
0: am so glad oh, abs- we don't have to face that <laughs> absolutely, kind of criticism. Of course.
1: Right? How could that happen to us? What's not the like, right? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth is, we can chuckle. Thank the Lord. One because. The flock that God has given us has Mm -hmm. been very gracious uh, to Mm -hmm. us and very supportive, but it does go with the territory, and uh, leading in any forum, but leading a church is not for the faint of of heart. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, Paul did catch a lot of criticism, as hard as that may be uh, to, to believe. We had a class here in the past semester in our community institute that meets midweek in which one of our pastors dr combs taught through second corinthians so any of you who took that class you know that what i said is true paul endured much criticism second corinthians talks about that and it's in that context as he's defending his ministry that he says we will all be judged including himself And and the next verse says, Knowing then what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Now, that is this. Because I, Paul, am going to stand before the Lord like all Christians, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to live in a way that persuades you of the authenticity of my calling. Paul wanted to be able to stand before the Lord having fulfilled his assignment. And the Corinthians and others should see that and follow his leadership as an apostle called by the Lord. Now we know Paul indeed did fulfill his ministry. That's why in the very last chapter that he wrote in the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says, Famously, the time of my departure is Mm -hmm. at hand. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And so he looked forward to a reward when the Lord returns. Sometime after Paul's death, he would get that reward uh, when the lord comes back. So in 2 Corinthians 5:10 it's about Paul being faithful to his calling. But he says that we all likewise are going to be judged for the deeds it says done while in the body whether good or hmm. or bad. That is all Christians will be judged for what they did with their assignment from God. And then that 1 Corinthians 3 passage makes that very clear when it says, our works for the Lord will be tested, and it'll be tested to determine their quality. The the passage divides work, many of you are familiar, I know you are, Pastor Larry, into two kinds of work, that which is lasting, that which is not, using building materials as a metaphor for our, our works. The works that don't last are, it's called wood, hay, and Going back to my King James days, wood hay and stubble. <laughs> stubble but, yeah. yeah, wood hay and straw. It doesn't have the same ring to it. There's a lot of these King James. Uh, doesn't sound as authoritative. It uh, doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> wood hay and stubble. Wood hay and straw, those don't last. And then there are those that, that do last. And it's gold, silver, and then precious stones or, or costly stones. Now, it's important to know, so please understand this is not about whether one is going to heaven or hell because it's only for believers, and genuine believers are in fact going to heaven. And this is proven in 1 Corinthians 3 passage that talks about this judgment seat, in that passage itself, because it says, even those whose work is wood, hay, and straw, they will, it says, quote, will be saved. Mm -hmm. Now I mentioned earlier that those passages don't use the word sin, so many have made a point out of that to further prove that this is not like the great white throne because it's not about sin, and our sins are all forgiven, and and so on. Now, for myself, honestly, living a life as a Christian Mm -hmm. of wood, hay, and straw, I mean, Mm -hmm. what else could you call that? Right? So it's still sin. Even though the word, I grant, is not used in those two passages, the activity or lack of activity on behalf of the Lord is, in fact, still sin. And Mm -hmm. I have no trouble then calling it that. But as we've said, if someone is a genuine born-again believer, and yet they frittered away much of their life by, yes, sinfully, misspending that, that life, then they still do go to heaven. But I don't think we need to downplay the fact that it's sin to fail to steward, manage what God has entrusted to us for his, his purposes. I think part of the reason that we avoid the word sin with regard to this judgment for Christians Is because we mistakenly think that the only result of judgment for sin must be hell. Mm -hmm. And since this is not a judgment about whether we're going to hell, it must not be a judgment about sin. Here's an example of that. I mentioned in one of the sessions we did several weeks ago, we were talking about some of what Roman Catholicism teaches Mm -hmm. uh, about how we get to heaven and work salvation, and I mentioned that years ago I attended a debate Uh, You may remember that. Excuse me. And at the end of the debate, there was an opportunity for the audience to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, and I spied out where the microphones were. (laughs) And as soon as they were finished and they said, okay, we're going to take questions, I jumped up to go to a microphone, which was really only feet from where I was sitting. Seven people got in front of me, even despite that. So I was number eight in line. But it meant I did get a question. And the subject of this particular debate was... Eternal security. So can a person lose their their salvation? Mm-hmm. And you remember, I, mm-hmm. I quoted I've heard, I've heard to the this, yeah. Roman Catholic uh, debater. I said, uh, "You said that a, a child of God can be disinherited." He actually said that during mm. the during the debate. And I said, "But you got you know passages like John five twenty four. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes mm. on him who sent me has.'" eternal life, Hmm. and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death to life. So I said to him, you know, it says those who believe in Christ, genuinely believe in Christ, has, present tense, something called eternal life. And I said, so in order to believe what you believe, you have to deny one of two things. You either have to deny that eternal life is a present possession, Hmm. or you have to Deny that eternal life is forever. Mm-hmm. So which of those do you deny? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, now say that again. <laughs> <And> I said, <laughs> you, you have to more deny time to think about it's it. a present possession, or you have to deny that eternal life is Those is pesky forever. words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then he says both of them. He kind of repeats it back. Yeah, eternal life is a present possession, and it lasts forever. And I thought, well, okay, the, the debate is over, right? Mm-hmm. It would have to mm-hmm. be, wouldn't it? Yeah. And then he says, but it's like having a driver's license. It's valid, but it's got an expiration on it. Well, he just he just took one it's of the things he just conceded. Yeah. It's not
0: forever. Yeah. I wish my driver's license was forever. I'd never have to go back <laughs> to the Secretary of State, right? Lots of us are glad your driver's license is not forever. Regular reevaluation. <laughs> that is true.
1: I just went a few weeks ago, and they let me buy... Without requiring glasses, wow. like at night, you know, because I'm really squinting in there to so see. They didn't the little... go out and get
0: in the car with you. <laughs> <They didn't. laughs> just look at the. Well, you had to look at the little hey, sign and okay. read the letters. Right.
1: We just went on a trip about five hours, and I did find That's what I'm I? talking about. Oh, that's true. That's true. There was an incident we're gonna have to tell you all about. That is true. <laughs> I'm glad you guys were there to help me out. <laughs> we will. We'll tell you about it sometime so <laughs> I forgot about that <laughs> so I say that to him and you know he says you know the the uh, the driver's license thing but then he says this he says later in John chapter 5 it must be that you can lose your salvation because it talked this is a quote it talks about judgment mm-hmm. oh. so for him the mere fact that there is judgment can only mean one thing whether you're going to heaven or hell is still in question right and that's the way many people think then about judgment so he pointed to this judgment later in the chapter it's as if that proves that you can't be automatically going to heaven if there's judgment because in his mind apparently judgment can only be about eternal security but really if we're going to change a word in the way we describe what happens for christians with regard to any judgment i'd say change the word judgment instead of Mm. instead of uh, avoiding using the word sin yeah. to describe it, yeah. so that we can think of it properly. If judgment connotes heaven or hell for you, well then don't think of it of this as w- this reckoning that's going to happen as, as judgment.
0: Yeah, but I mean, we've said already that it's called the judgment seat of Christ, <laughs> oh, oh. so <laughs> in in Second 2 Corinthians right? chapter 5, <laughs> verse 10. Uh, so it is hard then to think of it as anything other than judgment. True, yeah, I know, great point, you're right. Uh, it does use the word
1: judgment in that passage, but that's in our English Bibles. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, as you know, the Greek word is bima, and it refers to a judgment, or perhaps better, in, perhaps better in my mind to avoid some of this confusion, an evaluation. Okay, the word was taken from the athletic games that would take place in Corinth. The contestants would compete for the prize. They were under the scrutiny of the judges who would make sure that every rule of the contest was being obeyed. And then the victor of uh, an event, who participated according to the rules, was led by the judge to the platform that was called the bema. And there he received a wreath that was placed on his head as a symbol of his, his victory. It's similar to the platform where Olympic athletes go to get their their medals. That's a good, vivid yeah. picture in my mind. Now, importantly, in the athletic games, uh, as with the Bema of Christ, the judge bestowed rewards to the victors, but he, he didn't whip the losers. Mm. Yeah. And he didn't sentence the losers to, to hard labor. Right so if one prefers they can think of this as an evaluation or an examination of what we did and how we did it and if we did it well we receive reward for faithfulness if not we won't but all who appear at this evaluation do in fact spend eternity with the lord
0: yeah that's i think that's a really helpful visual in my mind at least to to think about it that way but i can't help thinking though it still involves sadness i mean you think about standing before the one Mm for, you know, the one who died for you, mm. and the reason you have eternal life, and to be yeah. found deficient in some way, that you you took that life he gave you and kind of squandered it. Yeah, yeah. Know. True. It, it will be a time, in fact, 1 Corinthians
1: 3 uses the word loss. Hmm. It will be a time of loss because it <gasps> says that one who's mostly, their life is mostly about wood, hay, and straw... Quote, will suffer loss, it says. Mm -hmm. But we we should be careful, and I know you're not saying this, but we need to be careful that we don't create uh, a sort of Protestant purgatory
0: Hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. with
1: regard to this judgment seat of Christ, because, or the evaluation seat of Christ. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Because, uh, unfortunately, some preachers and Christians do that. You know, they just make it like this horrible time, and here you are as a Christian, you're with your Lord, you're... You know, going to spend eternity, uh, and so we, we shouldn't make it a kind of Protestant uh, purgatory. There's a guy named Sam Hoyt, H-O-Y-T, Sam Hoyt, and he wrote an article in the Grace Seminary Journal years ago, and and here's what he said. He said, the judgment seat of Christ might be compared to a commencement ceremony. At graduation, there's some measure of disappointment and remorse that one did not do better and work, work harder. This uh-huh. too is a no. very vivid illustration in <laughs> my mind. Oh, sorry for, to place all that conviction on you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, just very, very vivid communication tool for, for, for me too. But then he, he says, however, at such an event, the overwhelming emotion is joy, hmm. not remorse, mm-hmm. and that's true for you Still and graduating. for me. The, the graduates don't leave the auditorium weeping because yeah. they didn't earn their grades. I can testify relief. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Enough of that. <laughs> They're thankful that they've been graduated. Mm-hmm. They're grateful for what they achieved. Mm-hmm. He says this: to overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment seat of Christ is to make heaven hell. Mm. To underdo the sorrow aspect is to make faithfulness inconsequential.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's it's not a judgment evaluation for the purpose of condemnation but rather it's an evaluation and examination for reward
0: yeah so so that's a good that's a good uh, or raises a good question in my mind what's the basis then mm-hmm. on which will mm-hmm. be evaluated
1: well, you know, if you think
0: about it, of course, the Lord could parade everything we've ever done before us. The big
1: movie screen? The, that everybody thinks, in the, yeah. In the Chick track? And I sometimes joke about that. You may <laughs> have heard me say that. That's going to be on the big screen. Somewhere. Literally, I remember this? seeing that as a kid,
0: <laughs> and it showed the cars like at the drive-in theater, and then... <laughs> God was sitting there with you in front of him, sweating, and they're showing "This is your yeah. life" on the screen, and everybody else is watching it too. Uh, and,
1: and importantly, your mother.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. You see that as a little you kid, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> exactly. So he could, you know, he could parade everything we've done. He knows everything mm-hmm. that we've done before us. Could parade it before. That's others. sobering thought, right there. Is he knows it right now? Right now, he right knows right it now. all. Right yeah. now. So he could do all of that, but there's no indication in Scripture that others are there looking at everything that you've that you've done.
0: We won't care what they think anyways <laughs> when we're there with uh, the good Lord. Good point, good yeah. point.
1: Uh, but it appears the main issue is one of stewardship of life. Hmm. What did we do with what the Lord gave? And, and you see that principle in the parable that Jesus gave of the faithful steward, mm. mm-hmm. the faithful manager in Luke chapter 12. He used what he was given to produce more for his, his master. He was about his master's business. Mm-hmm. And then those two major passages in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 3, it's in both of those, it's about that. You know, I said already, you know, for Paul, and then by extension for us, being faithful to his assigned task in the Lord's mission as his apostle. And then in First Corinthians 3, the context of that wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious stones, the context of that is really the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. It's about whether we've lived lives for God's purpose and used what He gave us in our time and our talent and our treasure for that purpose. Now, I say that for, for this reason, because 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about having laid the foundation for the church in Corinth. And mm-hmm. he, in fact, did that. He, he says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 that I, as an expert builder, mm-hmm. have laid a foundation. Now, how did Paul lay the foundation? Paul was the one who founded the church in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter 18 in your Bible, he visits Corinth, he preaches the gospel, God works, people are converted and uh, discipled, and a church is established. And he is now later with 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians writing back to this church that he... He founded that he mm-hmm. planted, so he laid the foundation for the church in mm-hmm. Corinth. He preached because he preached the gospel of Christ there. Called himself this expert builder. the The Greek word that's translated "expert builder" is uh, you might our listeners might uh, recognize an English word out of this: architecton, mm. architect. Mm-hmm. I'm the architect, he says. And then he says, all of us need to be careful how we build now on the foundation the building is the church that's been formed. The local church in Corinth, and if you want any further proof of that, that passage about the judgment seat and our works being tested, wood, hay, and stubble, all of that is 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15, 6 verses, 10-15. through 15. And then immediately after that, the next verse, verse 16, that's where he says, you yourselves are God's temple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, many of... You, our listeners might be familiar with the Bible saying that your body is the temple mm-hmm. of the, the Holy yeah, Spirit. You say
0: that might be what people think of immediately, of it's course not, our body.: And there. that's
1: in First Corinthians as well, but in a different passage. It's in chapter six. Mm-hmm. And it says, your, "Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit." in First Corinthians chapter six, 19 and 20. But here's what's interesting, unlike in English with our word "you," mm-hmm. in Greek, as you know. There, You have a plural form of you, and you have a singular form. They have you and y'all. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah. You can tell by looking at how it's spelled in Greek. Is this plural you or is it singular you? And in chapter 6, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the singular. Mm-hmm. You individually, your body. But in chapter 3, in verse 16, in the context of this wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stones, judgment, seat of Christ... Uh it's in the context of you yourselves are God's temple. And the fact that's why in the NIV and many translations it, it doesn't just say you are God's temple.
0: Yeah. Because you could say that, it would mean the same thing, but that's in English, out... but
1: now you have to know which you have to know. Is it talking about plural? Is it and and, and you'd have to look at the Greek and see how yeah. it's spelled. So they do you the favor of saying you yourselves mm-hmm. plural are God's temple. Yeah. You all y'all mm-hmm. <laughs> taken together. The Church are this temple to the Lord, and and Paul laid the foundation, and we are all contributing to its being mm-hmm. being built and built up. So the, and, and think about this as well, those that are commended at the end of Paul's letters, letters like First and Second Corinthians, are always those who are partnering in the mission
0: mm-hmm. of
1: the local church to expand God's glory through building the church and starting through that other churches. Mm-hmm. So this evaluation is primarily about faithfulness to God's mission through his church.
0: Good. Yeah. And so then let's move on to the next aspect okay. of that. Then when is this evaluation mm-hmm. of believers going to mm-hmm. take place? Does it does this occur as soon as we're absent from the body? Mm-hmm. So you know, I pass from this life into the yeah. next, and boom, I'm there at the judgment seat, uh, you know, absent from the body, is present with the Lord, or sometime yeah. later. Yeah. It,
1: it turns out, and I'll give a couple of passages that that prove this, but it actually takes place at the end of the age. Okay. And for those of us who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, a rapture of the Church, for those who are alive at the time of the Lord's return, they'll be called, meet the Lord in the air, uh, Many will have brothers and sisters will have already departed, and uh, they will be raised to their bodies raised and joined with their spirit at that time. The the Bible teaches, but it's at that time. It's when the Lord returns, uh, and I believe when the Lord returns in the rapture. But it's at the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And a couple of passages show that. I mentioned Paul, that famous passage in the last chapter of the last book that he wrote, Second Timothy chapter four, mm. uh, "I've run the race, I've kept the faith." But then he talks about, "There is now therefore laid before me uh, waiting for him a reward that I will receive mm-hmm. from the Lord, the righteous judge." He mm-hmm. says, "Well, when's this going to happen? When's the reward going to mm. happen? It says it's going to happen when he returns. It's going to happen at his appearing. Second mm. Timothy. Four, eight. not so,
0: my disappearing at his appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, and Paul
1: disappeared. You know, uh, Paul. You know, was, died two thousand years ago almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, this judgment seat hasn't happened yet. You know, apparently for him. Mm-hmm. And then in Second Corinthians, uh, chapter three, we've been alluding to. But then the next chapter, in chapter four, it talks about uh, the rewards uh, coming as well when the Lord when the Lord returns. So. I think that's one reason, um, that one reason that the Lord waits. I mean, he could do that as soon as you, as soon as you die, mm-hmm. and you're before him in spirit, your, your body is still yet to be resurrected according to the Bible, but I think one reason that, that God waits on this is because the result, think about it, the result of our faithfulness is not fully carried out mm. until the end. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are ripple effects that go on for generations and centuries and if the Lord tarries even millennia, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing thought to think about. What we're doing right now counts forever. Yeah. Right now counts forever. And the impact that you're having on people for eternity, and then the impact that those people have, and you're dead and gone. Mm-hmm. And you're with the Lord, and you don't know all that's happening with that. And you'll find out when all of the ripple effects have, yeah. have taken place. Of your faithfulness, now this is sobering, but also of our unfaithfulness. Mm, yeah, you know the Lord has the ability to to show, and and I believe I, I can't prove this, uh, but I speculate that He may well show some of what could have taken place. Yeah, had we been more faithful.
0: I'll add one more category to that that I'm so grateful as I look back over life, of God's faithfulness in spite of ours. Oh, preach it. Right. Amen. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but all of those things make sense, yeah, to think about the ripple And I
1: think that uh, the reason I just said, I speculate that he might at least show some of that, what could have happened had Mm -hmm. we been more faithful, is because it will highlight his faithfulness. Despite our unfaithfulness, he remained faithful to us. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, help us see the bigger picture. Um, So we've looked at what it is, we've looked at when, (laughs) and then uh, lastly, what we started off asking, and that is why. Yeah, why is
1: there one at all? It's, uh, one, it's the basis for rewards that we will have in, in the kingdom. That's one. But, but I believe the overarching reason is that it's going to be yet another demonstration of God's grace in our lives. Mm. Uh, yet another one, even then. One, you know, we'll look at everything that God produced through faithfulness and through works of gold, silver, and precious stones in his mission. And we'll just be amazed that he allowed us to participate yeah, amen. in this because, <laughs> because we'll remember, and I hope we remember now, it's really him doing the work through us. Mm-hmm. He's providing the ability to do it. And he lets us do this and then is gracious enough to give us a reward for what he allows and he uh, energizes. Philippians 2 and uh, mm-hmm. verse 13 says that it's God who works in us, it says, to will and to act according mm-hmm. to his good purpose. To will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, you read that verse quickly, and you can easily get the idea that it's talking about God willing and acting.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's actually our choosing and doing, mm-hmm. willing and acting, mm-hmm. because God is at work in us. Mm-hmm. And that's all to fulfill his good purpose. You've got the Apostle Paul saying of his own ministry in Colossians chapter one in verse 29, Colossians 129. I strenuously, Greek word is agonizo, I agonize. Mm. Contending, but then he says with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. So that's one reason. We're just gonna be awed yet again. That God was gracious enough to let us participate in what he did in his world, even though he was the one producing it. And then, as we said a minute ago, he was faithful to us despite mm-hmm. our
0: own unfaithfulness. Yeah, I think that reminds me of the passages you cited, uh, one of my favorite passages, I think it's Second Corinthians chapter 5, where we're... Called his ambassadors, Hmm. and he says, "It is as though God is beseeching you through us. That's right. Be reconciled to God, and the thought that you can be God's mouthpiece—you know, He's doing that through you." So, so there's going to
1: just a few. Sorry, that's just a few verses after. Yeah,
0: in Second Corinthians five, what we've been
1: talking about Mm -hmm. here about the the judgment seat. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So, so there's going to be no bragging, no, and no strutting Mm. around for any of the believers in the kingdom.
1: You know, several times in Scripture, going back to the prophet Jeremiah, and then being used in the New Testament in 1st Corinthians, for example, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what we'll do.
0: Amen. So uh, this is a good reminder of, Mm. you know, we're talking about, it seems like something, this is far away, but this is a reminder of why we're here right now, Mm. and how we should be serving the Lord with all of the resources that he's entrusted to us. Mm. Uh, You know, he, he gives us time, It's his timetable, our life. You know, he sets the beginning and the end. He gives us abilities, all of the resources, material, wealth that he's given us, and he's graciously given it to us to complete the mission that he's given us. So, Pastor Ken, thanks, and uh, thank you at home for watching. Uh, Forgot to hit the button a little earlier today to remind you all to subscribe and hit the notifications bell so you know when these new videos come out and uh, like most of our episodes, this is a great message. If you know somebody that would benefit from this, share the video to them as well, and uh, thanks again for watching. We will see you next time. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at nine seven zero zero zero.